0: Welcome to Are We There Yet? Transport into the Future. This is a series of programs that look at current issues and developments and what they mean for the transport we need, we want and what we can supply in the future. These programs are written and presented by David Brown.
1: Michael Caltabiano is the Chief Executive Officer of AWRB. Now, that's the preeminent road research organisation in Australia. He has been a politician, but he has also got a degree and experience in engineering. Now, whenever I visit AWRB, Michael has always chatted while showing me around the laboratories. We never sit in an office or a meeting room. I wanted to talk to someone in his organisation about what makes a good road and the technical reasons why there can be problems, and of course, how does that affect users? I think his eyes lit up. This was a subject that he himself had a passion for and an extensive understanding of the issues. So, consequently, he was more than happy to have the chat. Good day, Michael.
0: How are you, David? It's lovely to be with you again.
1: Very well, thank you. Uh, this, I hope this interview is uh, not so much a task as a joyful opportunity.
0: Oh, indeed it is. Uh, Roads have been a passion of mine ever since graduating way back in the mid-1980s. And uh, we've now morphed into a mobility-based business at ARRB, the National Transport Research Organisation, and really integrating all modes, uh, providing a community with a different level of access to mobility for the future.
1: Do you think we've moved away from just uh, uh, just technology or to, uh, a strong focus on technology and a better understanding of people and where and why they move and how we can suit that uh, uh, demand side a bit more than a supply side?
0: That is the direction of the future, David. I mean, behaviours, why people do what they do when they interact with a transportation system is something that we've at Arba very focused on. We have actually got psychologists within the business unpacking those stories and journeys, why people want to do what they want to do, so that we can enable those journeys. So as a community and as a society, we should be enabling those mobility journeys. We should be ensuring that people can get to where they want to get to in the cheapest, most efficient way possible.
1: Quite often we just average out a perception, perhaps even with big data, a lot of numbers, but we get to an average without understanding nuances.
0: Oh, absolutely true. And the future is the linking of big data with the understanding of human behaviours, and then the technology, which is what our specialises in, the technology to take us on the journey, whether it's How to build the new infrastructure network? How do we build smarter, better, more efficient roads, bridges? How do we enable the vehicles of the future that we can't quite define today? How do we enable them to use what will be mobility corridors of the future?
1: We sometimes think we try and predict the future, yet being flexible to change, is that one of the core skills that we must implant not only with our technical people but with our broader public discussions?
0: We are indeed on that journey David and that is the world of uncertainty, the world of constant change that 2021 delivers for us and probably for the next 20 or 30 years we're going to be moving through this new world of constant change. So currently we design for example our road systems with a 40-year design life. So we put today's capital, there's billions and billions of dollars to build our road system today to design roads to have a 40-year life based on traffic patterns and traffic loadings of today. Then nobody can tell me what sort of vehicles, what loading they're going to have and how our network's going to be used in 10 years, let alone 40 years. So we've got to engage in different conversations. How do we optimise the very scarce public resource of money going into our infrastructure network, to build a network that is flexible, is adaptable, is able to be changed in a sustainable way to cope with future journeys. That's the great challenge that engineers in the infrastructure sector are grappling
1: with today. Can I go back with a little bit of history of roads? If I was to think of the pub test... I would think that a road in one spot carries a weight therefore to make it as solid as possible or to be the way to go. I think the Romans had roads or many roads of large stone blocks. How did that work? Well it's
0: it's interesting, isn't it? When roads traditionally through till about the nineteen fifties, were designed on the basis of an empirical knowledge set. And that means that what we've observed is under the loads that are using the roads and back to the Romans chariots and and old steel wheels and timber wheels. So therefore, they designed a pattern of stones to cope with the loads that were being imparted on the road. And that same empirical philosophy carried all the way through to the 1950s. And in the 1950s, we said, well, hang on a minute. We actually do understand when a wheel traverses a pavement, what loads are imparted in that pavement, therefore what thickness we need to design to resist. And that was a move to a mechanistic design philosophy that occurred in the 60s and 70s, today, the latest design philosophy that Arb has written into the Ostroad's Pavement Design Guide talks about a perpetual pavement where we can design a pavement that never, ever has to be dug out and replaced again. So, a pavement where we only need to change the surface because what we've realised through all of our design modelling and through actual performance of roads over the last 50 years is that there, reach, there is a natural thickness, it's about 350 millimetres, that once you get to that thickness, any more material that you put in the, in the pavement's wasted. And what the future is all about is designing these perpetual pavements, never have to be dug out and replaced, because nothing annoys the community more than road closures and years of construction on existing pavements replacing them. All you need to do is just replace the surfacing. So that is... What our expertise in Arban and our design teams in our pavement design section can do today is design perpetual pavements, and we're doing that in a couple of states in Australia right now.
1: The thing about the road, too, is that not just the vertical, how does it cope with the weight at a one particular spot, but that it should provide a smooth thing. I think the large stone blocks had differential settlements which made very solid steps which thumped particularly badly, it's that understanding of the, the length of the road as much as just the vertical dimension of it in one spot.
0: Yeah, we talked a lot about community a few moments ago, David. One of the one of the things that t- the community demands of our road system is that it is smooth, it is safe, and it is fit for purpose. So they don't want a road that um, when they drive along is going ka-dunk, ka-dunk, ka-dunk every, every four metres with cracks they don't want a road that's full of potholes that's quite dangerous and they don't want roads without edge lines that are too narrow to cope with two vehicles. So the community expectations really set for engineers in the sector what the expectations are and what we need to design for and how we need to satisfy that community journey.
1: You go back really to McAdam, I mean, he changed the notion, didn't he? It later led to the foundation and putting something on top, but he was really about the foundation. Did that revolutionise road building?
0: Yes, well, McAdam back in, in the United Kingdom a couple of hundred years ago, in fact, spilt some tar on top of a stone block pavement and the tar seeped in between all the stone blocks and what they found was that it actually locked, interlocked all those stone blocks into what we now know as a modern road. So they then started pouring tar over over their road systems, which became the very first bitumen or flexible pavements uh, as we know them today. There's been many, many variations since that time. But in essence, that was the first use of a bituminous-based product in our road system. And bitumen, David, is this wonderful Product. It's it's a viscoelastic product, and what that means in everyday language is that at high temperatures it acts like a liquid. So at 200 degrees, when you mix it in an asphalt plant and place it, it's 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 quite a liquid product. And then at normal operating temperatures, you know, zero to 40 or 50 degrees, it acts like a solid. So it's a really interesting engineering product that's used extensively all over the world. In fact, 97% of all roads in Australia are bituminous road systems, so asphalt or or spray seals across the Australian
1: road network. It's always hard, can be very hard to get engineering science accepted. I understand that actually Australia applied a McAdam principle three years before the UK. If I read Dr Max books, in about 1819, I think our first one was, or 1820, and the, and the UK didn't apply it till then. You talked about different seals. When I road test a car, I go out into the country and go on to the coarser type of seal to it. What, what's the difference there between the nice, smooth stuff that tends to be in urban areas and the more coarser type of seal out in more country areas?
0: and you've described exactly what the community feels. So in an, in an urban area right across Australia, use asphalt pavements, which are thicknesses of a blend of stone and bitumen put together and laid through a paver and rolled to produce a very smooth but skid-resistant surface. In rural and regional Australia, they can't afford the 25 to $30 a square metre for, for asphalt. They can afford a $2.50 to $3 a square metre bitumen seal, which is 2 millimetres of bitumen sprayed on top of a granular pavement and then stone chippings put on top of those embedded into that hot bitumen when it's laid. And that covers more than 80% of the entire Australian network. So most of our network is, in fact, a chip seal. Australia is, you mentioned it before, Australia is one of the leading proponents for smart pavements, fit-for-purpose, delivering... High quality roads to a massive country. We've got 900,000 kilometres of road network in this country. And, you know, the smart road engineers of the past and the current and the future were, are tasked with maintaining, building, and looking after what is Australia's biggest single asset.
1: Do we put down concrete much now? Is that a structure that we used much before? Because there used to be, a bit like only over longer distances, the Roman blocks, there was a, used to be a bit of differential settlements, I think, sometimes. Is concrete still a major part of our roads? No,
0: concrete is not used extensively in Australia. In fact, New South Wales is almost the only state. There are little bits of projects happening in South Australia, and a little bit of historical concrete in Victoria. But New South Wales is the only state that's laying concrete roads at the moment. And the rest of the country, in fact, the rest of the world, has moved away from concrete pavements because they have a defined end of life. I talked before about perpetual pavements. Concrete pavements are not perpetual pavements, and they cannot be enabled to be smart pavements. The future is all about how do we enable the surfacing of a road to talk to a car. How do we change the way in which we manufacture that surfacing to emit signals, to have nanoparticles embedded, to change the white line structures? Once you have a concrete pavement, you can't change the surfacing. So they're not enabled for the future.
1: Could that be something like guided busways or things that uh, we might embed in the road, something that has a new meaning, has a new uh, function? Well,
0: that's what a flexible pavement does and flexible both in structure and in nature of its use is is the the trend globally and has been for the last 30 years globally to enable the future engineering workforce in the infrastructure world and the psychologists who are understanding what people need in the infrastructure world to allow those changes to occur. And we're already seeing them now where we have solar panels built into our road system where we have charging lanes, where we're embedding the charging of future electric vehicles through induction in dedicated lanes. All of that research is going on right now globally, and we will see that emerge in the next 10 years in Australia.
1: And we don't have to change the substructure for that. We just merely have to put the icing on the cake, the different icing on the cake.
0: That's right. And you can do that with a flexible pavement and you you can't do that with a rigid pavement or a concrete pavement.
1: Now, we've learnt from the health industry that when a problem becomes visible to all of us, then the disease has often been developing for some time. If we wait until a pothole shows up, is that too late? And what are we doing to better measure before something might become overtly visible?
0: Yeah, well, that that is... Absolutely the right question to be asking of a, of a roads engineer. As I said before, the community only see the outcomes from either good maintenance practices or poor maintenance practices. And the and potholes are an outcome from when moisture gets into a road and moisture is the kryptonite of road systems. You've got to keep moisture out of particular granular pavements and the way you do that is to have a, an, an excellent maintenance regime. So we need to understand how that road is performing, where it's cracked, where it's rutted, what the profile is, the strength of that pavement to enable the owner, whether it be local government or state government in most instances, how they then develop a maintenance strategy, an asset management strategy to make sure that they get to those areas of failure before potholes occur. So we have the technology to do that. In fact, ARB is the leader in the world for developing asset management tools, infrastructure measurement tools that are used extensively in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Northern Territory, ACT, Western Australia, New Zealand, all consistently use tools now to enable them to develop asset management plans to stop the potholes before they occur.
1: What would be some of those? I remember from years ago when I was more working directly in the industry that you you had a big Toyota Land Cruiser with laser developments on there so you could measure minute variations. Was that one of the things that you developed and is it still going?
0: Yes, it is. And we've moved to um, many new revolutions of of those vehicles. So they're called survey vehicles. And we run survey vehicles across all states of Australia. And they've got lasers at the front and cameras at the top and GPS locators in them so that we can pick up cracking, rutting and profile at the same time determining lane width, white line suitability, all in a single pass, all without traffic control, all at 80 to 100 kilometres an hour. And we've added to that fleet what is a world-first developed here in Australia, which is an iPave, an Intelligent Pavement Assessment Vehicle, which is a semi-trailer, that at the same time as it's picking up rutting, cracking profile lane width, is actually measuring strength. So there's a series of lasers that actually measure the deflection of the rear wheel of the semi-trailer, which is specially loaded as it's traversing the road, driving along the road at 80 kilometres an hour. These lasers are picking up the minute deflection in the pavement structure from that wheel and relating that to a strength of the road. Again, all done without traffic control, all all automatically collected. And we've been doing that in Australia, first country in the world to normalise this, this way of collecting data for seven years now and our state road agencies are getting fantastic value because they're able to decide in Mm. their road system the right time, the right place and the right treatment to make sure the road doesn't get potholes. Australia really is at the leading edge um, through institutions like ARRB to change the way in which we manage and maintain our very extensive
1: road network. Prevention rather than cure. Stitch in time, as, as we like to say, within the road asset business. <laughs> Are we likely also to get data from other sources? The, the trucking industry has trucks that now have some that have electronic stability controls. If they're being used quite a, a lot, then you might have a problem with the design of the road or you might have certain difficulties. Is, is there a much wider range of data uh, resources and sources?
0: You've absolutely hit the nail on the head, David. Next generation of knowledge is not only about getting the the baseline of the one source of truth through our vehicle fleet, but is then linking with other data sources like the telematics on trucks that tell us the loading, tell us when it breaks, whether it's got its windscreen wipers on or not. Mm. So it gives us climatic data, skid resistance data. Also the the cameras in vehicles, all of the cameras in eighty percent of vehicles around the world come from a single source. And we have a relationship with that company, which is an Israeli company called Here Data. And we use that to give us information about road quality, about the white lines on the road, which can then also feed into asset management systems. So we've already created at Arb Australia's largest data lake on transport infrastructure. We also put all the safety data into that data lake. So we've got the first national snapshot of fatality, serious injuries, and minor injuries across the entire continent. We also have in that data lake, and which we're very proud of at ARB, a first map of every single journey on the network that is a connected journey. So when you get your, get in the vehicle, and your mobile phone's on, you're you're actually having a connected journey. So we know for five years at five minute increments the speed and the volume on every single road in Australia, whether they're the major roads or the suburban streets, when you overlay all these data sets, because it's not just about the data, it's what you use it for, when you overlay all these data sets, you can then paint a more fulsome picture for the owners of that network, whether they be local government or state, about where they need to concentrate their efforts, that where are we having serious and fatal injury, does that line up with areas where your pavement performance is quite low, where your potholes are high, you're cracking, you're rutting of your pavement. Where do we have those confluences of data that we can really zoom in on and solve problems? That's what data lakes are for and that's what we've created at ARRB.
1: I interviewed the Vice President for Asia and Japan from HERE Technologies uh, the other day and I was really Impressed that there was not only a product-driven business, but one that saw and wanted to participate in a community value. Yeah. I have nothing from them, but uh, you know, I see it in a number of trucking industries and so on. If you don't have a, a, a trucking company, doesn't provide their Product with environmentally sensitive outcomes, then there's a lot of companies that won't touch them. So, do you, do you see that? Do you see a collective vision evolving and, and now having the data to be able to do it? How much does that data help?
0: Here, Technologies is one of our partners, as I said before, and, and it's, a, it's a natural partnership. They're interested in, in the data collection activities and providing that data to their suppliers. And we utilize that data set to then benefit the community by giving that insight and adding value to the other data that we already have. So it's, it's a, I like to think of it as a jigsaw puzzle. And ARRB is one piece in that puzzle. Here technologies is another piece, mobilize another piece, tomtoms another piece. So each of the entities that collect data, like telematics in the, in the industry companies, are parts pieces of this puzzle, and our task uh, uh, for and on behalf of of Australia and New Zealand is to is to build the picture, to have the partnerships, to lock in the data sets, to provide the inset insights that the road owners need to enable them to be much more efficient in the, in the spending of very rare taxpayers' dollars.
1: There was a TED talk the other day from a statistician and a data expert that said we have to be very careful that we not only have numbers, but we have the right numbers and good numbers and accurate numbers. Otherwise, we do things like artificial intelligence where we're getting quicker and quicker to go down the wrong path. That that management of data has to have a passion and a purity to making sure we know what it is and what it really means.
0: Absolutely spot on. And and this is why ARB's position in, in Australia and New Zealand is to be the one source of truth. That's why we ground truth everything we do through you know, the Intelligent Pavement Assessment Vehicle, the IPA, which is a physical measure, because the data is, is just but one input. Yes, it's quicker and more efficient, but it needs to be ground truth. And, and that's what we do for the country, is we ground truth all the data sources that come in. We make sure that the direction that is being taken actually is in line with what we expect through that ground truthing. Because you're right. Unless you have the knowledge and the skills and that one source of truth, the bedrock, um, you can head down the dry gully and spend a lot of time and a lot of money and energy and effort going down the wrong path.
1: We must be getting much better. I I spoke to a few uh, people from uh, our radio program listeners the other day, and they, one, remembered what was, perhaps at the time, the world's longest crack in a road. It went from the central coast, it went from Sydney up to the central coast and that. Uh, Were you ever aware of that? And uh, do we know why that occurred? And and are we very positive it won't occur again?
0: I am, actually, and and I... Um, In my previous life as Chief Executive Officer of the Australian National Pavement Association, worked with RMS as it was in New South Wales before it merged with Transport for New South Wales to develop solutions. The reason it occurred was because the sub-base concrete layer was laid offset from the top layer. So the cracks in the bottom layer reflected straight through the top layer of concrete. And it was known colloquially in New South Wales as the longest crack in the world, (laughs) That pavement's now been fixed. It was rubbleised using American technology. It was brought into Australia by a Sydney-based company, which did a great job in bringing that technology and utilising that technology. And the road now has a concrete sub-base and a flexible surfacing. So the flexible pavement layer, which will be enabled for technology in the future, has now replaced the longest crack in the world.
1: You mentioned that we brought in some American experience. You're saying that you're world-leading in many ways. Is the world interested in perhaps using what we do? Australia developed a great coordinated traffic signal, light signal system, and sold around the world. Can we do similar things with road maintenance and building and infrastructure?
0: We already are, David. So ARB is as the National Transport Research Organisation here in Australia, one of seven global partners. We have partnerships with Tiara in the United Kingdom, with our equivalent in Germany and France, Sweden, the United States and China. And, and we are part of a global infrastructure community. Our staff sit on um, World Road Congress committees, groups that determine world infrastructure standards. And two of our staff actually sit on standards committee setting the future for connected and automated vehicles so how does how does a connected and automated vehicle talk to infrastructure how does it talk to other vehicles our staff are sitting in those committees making uh, our contribution on behalf of australia how those world standards are going to be adopted so what goes into future vehicles is being determined right now by these committees and we have australians staff members of ARRB sitting in those groups making those decisions. So we are connected globally. So when we try to solve problems, we don't just look internally. We actually look outside our own backyard and say, well, has this been done before? Where is it really efficiently done? What experience can we bring to bear to solve problems here? And that's a great example at that north coast of New South Wales Road that has failed. We worked with industry to bring the best to bear and brought that piece of equipment into Australia and solved the problem.
1: Do you think people will use that piece of equipment, oh. copy it, and and use it overseas? Do you think that will happen?
0: It is the global standard for dealing with concrete pavements um, to rubbleize and or crack and seat. Um, what we'll find in Australia is that the marketplace will massively increase now because our concrete pavements are end of life, they're 30 and 40, 50 years old. So across New South Wales, um, the Gold Coast Motorway in Queensland, um, some sections of motorways um, in the Hume in Victoria are all at end of life. So these devices will will be more present in Australia, solving our problems. Hmm. And no doubt with the Australian engineering um, excellence that we have, we will modify, we will change, we will adapt and make them smarter, better and more efficient to solve our problems.
1: Just finally, we're... A- have been through a time, perhaps still that, in many ways, where science and the scientific method is often vilified by some areas of the media and political pundits. Has that made your task harder? Is that one of the hurdles we have to jump?
0: To be honest, I have found our elected members the most engaged I have ever seen them, right across the board, local, state and federal, and engaged with a mind and a focus for the future. I think our elected members are asking all of the right questions at the moment and challenging both industry, the research community, and the public sector. How is our infrastructure going to be used? Who is going to be used? How is it going to be paid for? How do we build ourselves a mobility future that is accessible to all, that's affordable to all, and that the industry can deliver goods and services smarter, better and more efficiently. So I have found universally that our elected members are, in fact, in touch with all of those issues and regularly asking those questions and driving different outcomes.
1: Some time ago, before your time and that, there was a the thought that ARB was good but a bit slow. Is is speed, are we having to develop these things quicker?
0: Uh, we definitely are. And um, and the journey that um, ARRB has been on over the last four years has lifted the pace of change, has made change central to our being um, as an organisation. We've reconnected globally, as I said before, and we are now offering solutions to our shareholding members. We're owned by the local governments and state governments and Commonwealth of Australia and New Zealand. Um, We're offering solutions, intellect, insight um, to how people solve problems for the future. And we're able to do that every single day of the week now. So things are moving really quickly. Change is the norm and the constant, and our organisation has adapted to that environment and now doing some tremendous work right across the country.
1: Michael, thank you for your time and your passion and your understanding and your way of explaining the ideas of the complexity yet the achievable things that are behind our road building. Thanks again for your time.
0: Absolute pleasure, David. Look forward to our next um, conversation.
1: And that's Michael Caltabiano, the Chief Executive Officer of ARRB, the road research organisation, well-accepted part of the Australian system.
0: Are we there yet? Transport into the Future is produced by Driven Media. Driven Media specialise in communicating technical and scientific information to professionals and the public and also facilitates planning and behaviour change in groups, and organisations. You can send comments or suggestions to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. All the participants have agreed to the recording and distributing of their comments.